As you probably know, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And to celebrate, InfoSec is giving away a free month of its InfoSec Skills Platform. This is a subscription-based skills training platform for cybersecurity experts. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, please go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast. And don't forget to claim your free offer before October 31st. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week I sit down with a different industry thought leader to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends and how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Our guest today is Jason Dion, who is an author with InfoSec and who has created three learning paths on our new InfoSec Skills site. InfoSec Skills is a subscription-based learning platform uh, mapped to the NICE cybersecurity workforce framework which contains entry, mid, and advanced cybersecurity roles backed by research into the actual skills required by employers. With InfoSec Skills and NICE, you have the roadmap necessary to identify what employers uh, want and the tools needed to follow that career path, whether you're brand new to information security or an established InfoSec professional. Uh, Jason's going to be talking about the move towards subscription-based skill training, his career as an educator, and he's going to provide us with some optimal study and learning tips for people attempting to move their career into a new realm. Uh, Jason Dion is a former college professor and the lead instructor at Dion Training Solutions. With network, uh, networking experience dating back to 1992, Jason has been a network engineer, deputy director of Network Operations Center, and an information systems op officer for large organizations around the goal, globe. Boy, howdy. He holds a master's of science degree in information technology with a specialization in information assurance, a master's of arts and religion in pastoral counseling, and a Bachelor of Science in Human Resources Management. He lives in the greater Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Maryland area with his wife and two children. Jason, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, so let's start out with uh, talking about your work with InfoSec Skills. Uh, what type of classes uh, have you created for the site? And have you created other types of uh, classwork or collateral like this in the past? Yes. Uh, so for InfoSec Skills, we've done uh, three courses so far. Okay. Uh, they've been focused on the CompTIA certification path, which aligns into the NICE framework. Yeah. So we have the Security Plus course, the CYSA Plus course, and the Pentest Plus course for uh, InfoSec Skills. Uh, as far as doing it for other places, uh, yes, before I started working with InfoSec Skills, uh, I've done a lot of coursework. Over the last three years, I've trained over 150,000 students in 190 countries on platforms such as Udemy, um, LinkedIn Learning, and then my own site, DionTraining.com. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about Dion Training? Yeah, so uh, Dion Training is a site where we have all of our courses on there, and we have everything from Network Plus on the CompTIA side all the way up through uh, Pentest Plus. We also have other certifications on there like ITIL, uh, which is the IDLE Service Management Framework, mm -hmm. as well as uh, some project management stuff with Prince2 and Prince2 Agile courses. Cool. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, study strategies and, you know, get right into the nitty gritty with, uh, you know, students and potential students who might want to know sort of where to start with these things. So uh, to lead things off, what recommendations do you have to get help get people into cybersecurity who might have an interest but might not have any previous experience? Are there any skills or certs or experiences they should be working on first to kind of get yeah, their foot so in the door? Yeah, so there's um, basically two things you really need to do before you start going into cybersecurity. One is the soft skills, and that's things you can do in your normal career before you even move into cybersecurity. Things like being able to work with people, being able to communicate effectively, being able to manage projects and time management, all of those type of things are things that are very valuable to employers because there's a lot of work to do 
and people are going to be spending 40 hours a week with you. They want to be around somebody they know, like, and trust, right? right? So I think that's really important and often overlooked inside of our technical world. People tend to think, I'm going to get this certification or this degree, and that's going to be my ticket in the door. Um, and often it's the people you know, the people you've worked with in the past, and the connections you've made through those relationships. So I think that's really important. Uh, as far as the technical side of things, I, I think one of the big misnomers that's out there right now, um, and one of the reasons why we have such a large cybersecurity skills gap, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, yeah. uh, it, is the fact that everyone thinks that there's these entry-level cybersecurity jobs, and mm -hmm. they're often classified like that or sold like that. Right. And one of the big challenges is there is no real entry-level cybersecurity job. Most people in cybersecurity came from another field. So I started out in the help desk area, then I moved into mm -hmm. networks, server administration, and eventually moved my way into cybersecurity. I and see. that's kind of the traditional path that about 90% of people take. The other 10% I see are coming in from jobs in the military sector, and they're applying that experience and their clearances into those entry-level cybersecurity jobs. So there's not like a single certification. Uh, for instance, you can't just say, I'm gonna get my security plus, and now I'm gonna be able to get an entry-level cybersecurity job. Okay. Um, there, there are steps you have to take to, to get yourself set up for that. Okay, like, like what? Uh, so I think one of the big ones is not being afraid to start getting some IT experience in the help desk, in field services, uh, in installations, in server management. Those are all skills that translate over into the cybersecurity side. Um, as an employer, I wouldn't want to hire somebody who is brand new to cybersecurity who has never been a system administrator before or never okay. been a network administrator before because mm -hmm. they wouldn't even know what they're looking at in the logs to know if it looks normal or not. And so I think that's one of the, the big fallacies that we see out there right now with people trying to jump directly into cybersecurity. Um, I, I almost equate it like somebody who says, hey, I want to go be a neurosurgeon, but I don't want to go get my primary care license as a doctor first. Um, it, it, it's, it's an advanced skill set. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So there's not like, you know, a sign on the door saying entry level cybersecurity position. Like there's, the, you're, 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 you're doing a lot of things before you kind of even get to the cybersecurity rung on the ladder. Yeah, generally I see people who have at least two to three years of experience doing something else before they're getting into the, quote, entry-level cybersecurity job. And that's one of the reasons why when you look at the pay scales, you'll see that the, you know, help desk and field service, those things are paying somewhere in the thirty to $50,000 a year range. And entry-level cybersecurity jobs tend to be between fifty dollars and $80,000 a year. Right. Um, and the reason they're higher is because they expect you already had that experience and you're jumping into this new path. Yeah, and you're so not it's fresh out of college. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so on sort of a granular level, in your opinion, what are the cybersecurity skills that are most in demand and, and which are most likely to uh, accelerate your career? Are there certain skills people are overlooking in their studies and preparations? Yeah. So one of the big ones I see with students, um, everyone who comes to me tells me, hey, I want to go be a pen tester. Mm -hmm. uh, pen testing is fun. It, it's a cool yeah. field. Uh, everybody wants to be the hacker. Um, yep. The problem is there's one job in pen testing for every four jobs on the defense side. I see. And so the blue team side um, is not nearly as, as sexy or interesting to many people, but that is where the bulk of the jobs are. Most companies have a uh, security operations center. They need 50 or 100 defenders to help protect their networks. Mm -hmm. They might have four or five pen testers working on their red team. So when you start looking at those numbers, if you're trying to get an entry-level job, being a pen tester is probably not it. Um, and again, it goes back to that whole you know hierarchy as you move through your career. Eventually, you'll get to the pen test side, but those tend to be the higher level paying jobs, the higher level skilled jobs, and most of the pen testers I know who are good at it have 10 or 15 years of experience mm. as a network defender first and then move to the pen testing side. Right, and and I suppose also that even if you sort of had the right degree or whatever, they're gonna wanna have seen some experience in these, yeah. in these areas. 
Yeah, it really comes down to you have to be a good defender before you can be a good attacker, right? And so mm -hmm. spending that time of being a network defender, and when I talk about network defense like a SOC analyst, we're mm -hmm. talking about things uh, such as digital forensics, reverse malware engineering, uh, and malware analysis. We're talking about things like doing network traffic analysis, system log analysis. All of that stuff is the stuff you have to understand how the bad guys are breaking in. And by being able to do that, that's going to make you a better uh, attacker later on when you become a pen tester because you know what all the defenses are and you know how to get around them. Right now, so uh, so speaking of of sort of being on the on the defender sides of things, what are you know what are some ways to sort of get your foot in the door there? I mean, I, you know, obviously we're we're still needing to we, there's still a chasm between help desk and that. So what what do you yeah. what 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 do you what what's what's your sort of optimal path there? Um, so I worked with a local community college here in the Baltimore D.C. region where we have a very high need for cybersecurity. And mm -hmm. the college we got together with all the local companies in the area and we try to figure out what it is you need and what can we do to put people through a year-long pipeline to get them their foot in the door at one of those entry-level cybersecurity jobs. And what we've determined with the employers was getting their A+, Net+, Security+, and CCNA was the four certifications that, that aligned most to what they needed for somebody to be able to walk in the door, get some on-the-job training, and become a SOC analyst, hmm. um, which, which is surprising to some people because you'd think that something like CYSA, which is the SOC analyst certification, uh, from CompTIA would be what they were asking for, but it, it wasn't. And mm -hmm. the reason why was they want people who knew how to read logs on a workstation. So that was A plus, understanding basic system administration. They want somebody who knew network plus because that made sure they understood network defenses, network architecture, and the concepts of the OSI model. They want somebody who knew security plus because that way they could speak the language of cybersecurity because that's kind of the baseline certification. So everybody's talking the same language in the company. And then they want somebody who has CCNA because the majority of the traffic you were looking at as a network analyst was going to be network traffic. So you're looking at a lot of server logs and router logs and firewall logs, and that's the kind of stuff you learn how to configure and program inside of CCNA, uh, Cisco Certified Network Associate, right. and being able to take that knowledge and use that was something that gave them a good baseline person. So we were taking people as part of this program. It was a Department of Labor grant. We were retooling people who were unemployed, putting them through a year-long college experience where they got these four certifications at the end of it, and then they were able to go walk in the door into a company making between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year as an entry level SOC analyst and work their way up from there. So what what about the you 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 said that they aren't looking for the CYSA so much as these other four? What 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 are your thoughts on the CYSA? Is that something you might pursue after you've already sort of been doing analytics for a while and you want to kind of like harden your knowledge or? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's designed for. So if you look at the CYSA, it's supposed to test the equivalent of somebody who's been working as a SOC analyst for about two years. Okay. That's where they've, they, at least in the current version, the CS, uh, the CS001 that's currently out. Mm -hmm. um, in the new version, they're actually going to be making it a little bit harder and they're trying to target two to four years of experience. Hmm. Uh, and, and the reason for that is they're trying to make it that inter intermediate career progression certification. So that's why employers weren't looking for that as the entry level to get in the door. They were expecting you get your foot in the door, learn a little bit, and then go back and get your CYSA as you progress up the ladder. Okay. How long have you been an educator? Uh, so I started teaching professionally in 2013, so about six years at this point. Wow. Okay. And uh, has the cybersecurity landscape, training landscape changed in the time since you began? Do we build our sort of like, you know, classes different, uh, expectations different, things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the big things I've seen that's changed is a lot more of a focus on hands-on learning as opposed to just book learning. Okay. Uh, I started out and you would go take an A-plus boot camp or something of that nature. They would give you a textbook, they would PowerPoint you for a week long, and then they'd have you take the exam. And you could get people who could pass the exam, but they couldn't do the job. 
Hmm. Uh, so this, the focus has really shifted to do a lot more hands-on stuff. One of the things that's really helped with that is virtualization. So because we have virtualization now, we don't have to spend $100,000 on a network environment to be able to train students. Instead, we right. have a couple of high-powered PCs or a cloud, and yep. we can build those things in the cloud and allow the students to be able to use it, and it's very inexpensive to do. Hmm. Um, also, the technology has gotten much better for students to learn at home using pl platforms like yours where they can go and for you know a, a small monthly fee, they have access to all the video training from a bunch of experts. Right. When I first started out back, when I took my first A-plus back in 1999, so I'm showing my age here 20 years ago, right. um, you would pay $3,000 to go sit in a class for a week and have a, an instructor teach you. Now you can get that online for $10, $20, dollars $100 and get the same quality education for a fraction of the cost. So I think that's kind of some of the things that have changed a lot because of the technology we have nowadays. So at the start of the show, you, we, we sort of teased it a little bit, but you mentioned the cybersecurity skills gap. What are your, what are your thoughts on the skills gap in general? Do you think uh, the right things are being done to reverse the course or what, what would you suggest is not, that should be done that is not being done right now? What solutions do you think you have? Yeah, so there's a couple of issues we have with the skills, uh, skills gap right now. Um, and and it, it's, I think there is three different sides of it. Uh, and each of those sides has a different perspective. So I, I, I'll talk about it from the industry side, the okay. education side, and the student side. So when we talk about it from the industry side, um, the industry is looking for the perfect unicorn, right? Uh, I see a lot of job descriptions out there that say, I want somebody who has a CISSP and this, 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 and they put this long list of requirements. Yep. And a lot of times people who are writing the requirements don't even know what they're asking for. Yeah. Um, I saw one they asked for somebody who had 15 years of Go programming experience. Well, Go has not been out for 15 years, so nobody has it. The guy who wrote the language doesn't have 15 years of experience, so you're never going to find that guy, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, same thing when I look for people and I see they want somebody who has a CISSP, they want them to have a master's degree in cybersecurity, uh, they want them to have their, their ethical hacker and their OSCP, and they list off this long list of certifications. And if somebody had all those certifications, they wouldn't have the time to do their job. And so yeah. they, they, they yeah. wouldn't be useful to you. Or they um, wouldn't be looking for work because they'd be, people would be coming to them, offering them work, I imagine. Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the other problems from industry is everybody is fighting for the same small group of people. Yes. There's a lot of people on the outside who are kind of a good fit, but not exact. And mm -hmm. they don't want to take a chance on those. So they're, they're only looking for the perfect fits. And, and so that's causing some of this, this skills gap, I think. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the expectation and nobody wants to put the effort into training an employee anymore. I, I think that's one of the issues. So that's, that's kind of the industry side of things where I see one of the problems. Okay. Then I look at the, um, the education side of things. So we'll, we'll go to that. There, there's two main buckets of education. You have colleges and you have non-traditional training, which I would put your platform, my platform, and, and places like that into. Mm -hmm. That would be boot camps and, and, and certifications and things like that. I think there's an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation that's being sold to students, uh, specifically by a lot of the colleges right now, that if you get a bachelor's degree or if you get a master's degree, that's your foot in the door and you're going to get a job. I see a lot of students who go and get a master's degree in cybersecurity and they can't get a job. Now, why is that? Because they don't have any experience. They just spent eight years of college and hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans to get a piece of paper that says you have a degree. But employers look at that and they go, that's the least of my worries. Employers yeah. look for three things. They look for experience, certifications, and then degrees. Generally, degrees aren't going to get you a job. Degrees are going to get you where your placement on the pay scale is. Okay. Certifications that will get you in the door. And experience trumps that. Um, if somebody has, I would, I'd rather have somebody who has 20 years experience and no certifications than mm -hmm. a guy who has 10 certifications and one year experience, right? Right. Because you want people to have experience. So I, I think that's one of the, the fallacies, and, I, and especially in my area, I hear a lot of colleges in here putting out ads talking about, hey, come to our college, get your cybersecurity degree, and you're going to get a great job. There's a skills gap. We're going to train you for it, and you're going to get a job. 
And yep. a lot of people are coming to the end of that pipeline and not getting a job because they don't have the experience. Um, so that's something that we as students need to figure that out and, and start getting that experience. And so that brings us to our third piece, which is the student's expectation. Yes. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier, right? Um, there really is not a lot of entry-level cybersecurity. When we talk about entry-level cybersecurity, that's really mid-grade IT. Okay. Um, generally, you have to do other things in IT first. That builds your experience, so then somebody will take a chance on you and bring you into the cybersecurity side of the business. It's kind of a fork in the road. Um, and, and I think a lot of the students don't see it that way because that's not what they're being told in the industry. Yeah. And so I see this a lot online. People come to me and go, hey, I hear that cybersecurity pays $100,000 a year. I just got my CEH certification. How come nobody's hiring me for $100,000 a year? Well, because you have zero experience, right? Yep. Um, and most of those people who are making big money uh, or, or have no problems finding jobs, it's because they have that experience component. Um, so that leaves students with the question of how do you get experience, right? If nobody will hire me, how do I get experience? Uh, and this is something I talk with my students a lot about. You have to sometimes get creative and work your network of connections. Maybe you're already working in a company that has an IT department, and maybe you can get them to shift you over into the IT side so you can start getting some experience there before you move out to another company to go work cybersecurity. Um, I've seen folks who come from the police and law enforcement side, and they come in and they get into cybersecurity because they have a physical security background. Being police and security guards, you understand how security cameras work and all the access control systems and all that kind of stuff. So you can leverage that experience to get your foot in the door and then tool up into those IT sides and become an IT cybersecurity guy. Um, it's things like that. Sometimes you have to think outside the box uh, and people have to be realistic that, you know, you're going to have to start um, not at the high job. You're going to start somewhere lower, get the experience. As you're doing that, you build up your certifications and that's going to help you get into those jobs that you want to get into. Okay. So if you specifically, Jason Dion, had a magic wand to solve the skills gap tomorrow, what, what actions would need to happen? Uh, one, we would have to get employers to be more willing to take a risk on people. Um, okay. I've had a lot of students and we can put together the greatest training programs out there, right? I can put together a two-year school that is fully hands-on uh, because most of the stuff we do, we don't need a college degree for, but we do need people who have the experience. So we can build a college-like environment, a Votech school, like we would for a plumber and electrician, but for cybersecurity. We can teach people how to use the tools. We can have training ranges where they can go and defend the networks and attack the networks and do all that stuff, right? But if employers aren't willing to value that two-year educational degree program uh, as equivalent experience and hire those people in, then we still are going to have this gap because we can have lots of people who are qualified and certified, but if we can't get them into, into the job market, that's going to be a problem. Um, so it, it is a two way street, right? Employers need to communicate to the industry what it is you're looking for. And we need to build towards that, um, which I think a lot of us are, are more than willing to do. And we have been doing. Um, and then the other side of things is the employers have to be willing to start taking a risk on some people and do some on the job training. Uh, one of the best organizations out there for this, honestly, is the U.S. military. They pull okay. people in off the street, right? Mm -hmm. They put them through school. They train them up on what they want them to do. And after they, you know, they've done their six months of, of schooling, they now go out and do that job. Um, right. I, I look at the U.S. Navy, and they take people off the street and teach them how to fly planes. They teach people how to drive ships, run nuclear reactors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Army, driving tanks, right? Nobody knows how to drive a tank when they get hired by the Army. But the <laughs> Army teaches them how to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, but employers aren't necessarily willing to do that on the job training yet. And so we have to start getting more of a culture in industry of, as far as the employer side of valuing our employees and investing into them. Um, personally, when I hire in my company, I hire for personality and aptitude and I train you in what I want you to do. I can train anybody to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I just need somebody who wants to learn. And so right. if I find those people, I would hire them in in a minute. Um, but I'm not seeing a lot of that in most corporate America because they're, they're risk averse. They're looking at a checklist and, do you have X years of experience? Do you have these certifications? Do you have this degree? 
and they go down that checklist. And if you don't match up, they find somebody else who does. Yeah. Is there, would there be a sort of a possibility in the future? I mean, it's obviously it's out of our hands, but uh, making education sort of go hand in hand with hands-on experience, like sort of, uh, you know, not mandatory, but, you know, included, you know, hands-on like internships or, you know, other sort of like other ways of like getting the experience sort of side by side with doing the training. Is that, is that a possibility? Yeah, I think that's a good thing. And where I'm seeing a lot of the development in is actually at the community college level. The bachelor's okay. and the master's degrees is much more book learning and focused on certifications. Sure. At that, that undergraduate, that associates level, the community colleges, they are doing a lot of work with industry in their local area, trying to figure out what it is, what skills do you need? We're going to train people. If you tell us what you need, we'll train them to that level. Hmm. Um, and that's what we did here at, at Anne Arundel Community College when I was working with them, is we built our program around what the local employers needed. And because of that, we had a very high success rate of getting students out the other side and into an entry-level job. And so there has to be that communication between industry and education to build that pipeline so we can build the needs they have. And the answer is not necessarily going to be a four-year degree or an eight-year degree and getting a master's degree. Um, I had somebody ask me the other day, should I get a PhD in cybersecurity? My answer to them was, not unless you want to be a professor, because nobody needs a PhD to do cybersecurity unless you're going to be a professor or a researcher. Uh, and this person just wanted to get a job, you know, being a soft director or something of that nature. Yeah, they were hoping that, you know, the higher up it goes, the more guaranteed you are of the job, which is not the case. And it's actually the opposite, right? Because you yeah. start pricing yourself out of the market because right. people go, oh, you have a PhD, you're going to want X amount of dollars and I can't afford that. And they, they move on to the next candidate. Yeah. So um, we're, we're talking today mostly about InfoSec skills and just the, the notion of subscription-based training. So as, as online training becomes more ubiquitous, uh, what are your thoughts on subscription-based training versus boot camp or academic sc- sub, uh, study of a subject? Is it sort of the way of the future, you think? Yeah. So I think um, the way that we're seeing things is that people are looking for training for the need they have when they need it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and colleges tend to be slower to adopt to that. Yeah. Uh, so having have been a, a college professor before and the, the course author for the, the school that I was teaching for, um, if I wanted to make a change, it took almost three years to go through, change out the books in the bookstore, change out the curriculum and start teaching something new uh-huh. in, in computers. That's just too slow. Right. Um, a lot of schools are trying to get around, uh, trying to speed up that timeline by using electronic books now instead of paperbacks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they just can't compete as far as as quickly as commercial sector can. So the great thing with when you deal with um, boot camps, whether in person or online uh, or a subscription based service, is that they can create content much quicker and get it out much quicker. Um, I look at like for our company, when we put out a course for InfoSec skills, uh, we can go from idea to execution in under 30 days, sometimes as much as, you know, the longest it takes us is about 90 days usually for one course. Um, and, and that's because we're doing most of the stuff in house. We're able to, you know, shoot the video, edit the video, write the curriculum, get everything done, and, and meet those needs very, very quickly. As far as for students, I find that from a cost-benefit perspective, the online subscription services are excellent, right? Mm-hmm. InfoSec Skills is, for one low payment, you get access to the entire library of courses, right. which is awesome, right? Um, and, and this isn't just a commercial for InfoSec Skills. Obviously, this is your guys' podcast, so sure, like, sure. There, there's, there's tons of other competitors out there, right? I mean, right now, there's probably 40 or 50 different companies, and so you got to look at the catalog of what they offer and which one's the best for you with the instructors that you like and the way they teach, um, because I, I tell students this all the time. You know, you may not like me, and I'm not the, the teacher you want. That's okay. There's 50 other guys who teach the exact same thing, right? If you want right. to learn uh, Security Plus, there are at least 50 courses online you can go take Security Plus at. Uh, mine is one of them. Hopefully you like my, my methods and we have a really high success rate of getting students to pass the exam and teaching stuff. Um, but 
not everybody likes my personality, and that's okay, right? Uh, and, and I think that's important for students because when you start dealing with these online subscription sites, it is very student-driven. The student has to be motivated. Um, when, when I'm teaching a boot camp, an employer can say, you know what, you need to go to boot camp for the five days, and they put you in my class, and that's your place of business for that week. Um, you're going to kind of be forced to learn. But a lot of these subscriptions, you're doing it on your own time, in nights and weekends, or at your lunch hour. And so you have to be motivated to want to do it. But if you're that motivated person, you can save a ton of money and learn pretty much anything you want using these type of trainings. And note to our listeners, of course, Jason Dion is the teacher that you want. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you, you just mentioned that, but I want to kind of go a little deeper into it. Without a professor assigning weekly tasks, it might be hard for some uh, users to stay on track and meet your learning objectives. Do you, so do you have any tips to help lifelong learners stay focused on training and accomplish their goals in a timely fashion? Yeah, so one of the things I always tell my students is you need to develop a plan. Uh, and so you need to know when you're planning on taking your exam. So most of my stuff is based on certifications. So uh, let's say you want to take your Security Plus exam. You can say, okay, today is, you know, August 28th. And on September 30th, I'm going to go take my exam. I know I have four weeks to do it. Yep. Well, if I'm taking Jason's class on InfoSec skills, uh, that is going to be a 250 lectures that I have to watch inside that four weeks. Uh, so I start breaking that down. I go, okay, out of 250 lectures, that's about 15 hours worth of content. Four weeks means I need to watch four hours a week. So if I can dedicate one hour a night, Monday through Friday, that's you know four hours of video watching and an hour of exercises, activities, doing the hands-on stuff. Um, and so you can give yourself that timeline and break it down into manageable chunks and keep yourself on task. Um, because again, you're right. There, there is nobody who's going to tell you you have to do this. Um, right. When you buy my course, there, you know, there's, I, I have 10,000 students taking that course right now. Um, they, they can ask me a question anytime they want, but I'm not going and asking each student, hey, did you do your work tonight? Did you check in? Um, that, that's not the way this type of stuff works. It, it's very self-driven. Okay. So you, you mentioned, obviously, that there are a lot of subscription-based education programs out there. Uh, so can you tell me what you think distinguishes the best ones? Like, what should you be shopping for when seeking out subscription-based training? Yeah. So um, one thing I look for is the catalog size, right? Um, and not just the number of courses, but the quality of those courses. So if I look at um, you know some of the big competitors out there would be you know your guys uh, if I compare your site to my site let's let's do that right mm -hmm. I look at InfoSec Skills versus theontraining.com because we have a subscription as well right um, I only have my courses on there so you're only going to have access to 20 courses if you buy my subscription if you buy InfoSec Skills there's 50 or 100 different courses because there's all of my courses plus there's other instructors courses and so if you know hey I need to get my A plus my Net plus my Security plus by this, 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 and you start making a list of what you want to learn, you look at that catalog and see if they have what you want. Um, some of the bigger catalogs out there would have thousands or hundreds of thousands of courses, right? Um, but again, a lot of those courses don't really apply to you. Um, I do some work with LinkedIn Learning. I have some of my courses there. Um, and if I think of them, they have, I think, 100,000 courses. But they also have courses on art and cooking and playing guitar and stuff you don't care about with InfoSec skills, right? Yep. So that would not necessarily be, if I'm trying to get InfoSec, that may not be the place for me. Uh, the nice thing about something like InfoSec skills is it's a focused community, and they're also working on updating those courses more often and more frequently to get you the best information. Um, the other thing I like to look for is I like to look for hands-on stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't just want an instructor who's gonna just sit there and talk to me all day. Yep. Uh, that's good, and that helps to pass the exam, but you also want application. So if you go through my Security Plus course, for instance, uh, we're going to talk about password cracking, and then we're going to go into a video where I show you how to crack a password and show you what tools it is. And then I tell you, hey, you should probably go download that and try it on your own and make sure you get, you know, putting the hands on the keyboard and making that stuff work. Um, those are things I think are really important for student learning. The other thing I think is really important, especially for certification exams, is making sure the platform has practice exams for you. 
because you want to be able to practice before you go spend $300 on that exam. And so if you're taking a Security Plus course, you want to take a practice Security Plus exam and make sure you're going to pass it. Then you can spend the $320 to go take the real exam because you know you're going to pass. So I think those are three of the main things there. Um, and then the other thing would obviously be student support. Um, do you have access to the instructor to ask questions? It may not be that you can call them up on the phone, but you can you send them an email or post a message in the Q&A or something of that nature yep. so you can get your questions answered. Okay, um, could you t talk a little bit about, you know, because obviously we're talking about cert, sort of cert training through the skills program. Um, can you talk about sort of people who might be just interested in learning like one specific thing? Is that applicable where it's like I need to, you know, I'm, I'm already on the job, but I need to do this one, know how to do this thing by next Monday. Are there, are there sort of classes in there where, you know, you could learn this one, you know, aspect of penetration testing or whatever? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's basically, you'll see that there are three different types of training, right? There's going to be these full path, long trainings like Security Plus. Yep. You're going to go through the entire textbook essentially and learn everything you need to know to pass this exam. Then you might have other trainings. For instance, I have a course on malware analysis. Mm -hmm. It's a short course, about 90 minutes, and it basically teaches you how to do dynamic malware analysis, which is what you do as an incident responder. If somebody says, hey, I think this computer got hacked. I think there's malware on it. What does that malware do? You can pick it up, run the malware, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have other training, which might be shorter, very focused on one particular skill. So maybe it is, hey, how do I um, crack a password? And there's one YouTube video on how to crack a password, right? Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the three ways I look at training is the micro lesson, kind of the shorter course, and then the longer course. Um, as a student, when you're looking at your catalog, um, that's one of the things that is good to look at is how does the catalog allow you to search for information? Some places are very good about searching down to the individual video so you can figure out, hey, I want to learn how to crack a password, and you type in cracking password, and the one video from my Security Plus course will show up. Mm -hmm. Other platforms are not as good, and it's basically, hey, we cover cracking passwords someplace in this 15-hour course. <laughs> Go figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I, I do look at as a student when I'm picking a platform is, is how, how in-depth can I search and how, how well can I find the content I'm looking for. Um, okay. The other thing I think with subscriptions that's important is to figure out what your commitment is. Uh, some places ha do it by the month, some places do it by the quarter, some places do it by the year. Yep. Uh, and if you're testing something out, most of them have a you know, free week or a free month to try it out first and see if you like it. Um, some of them just do it as a month-to-month -month subscription, cancel any time, like Netflix does, right? right. Uh, and so that's an important thing to consider as well if you're going to lock yourself into a subscription. Okay, so if, if let's say you're someone who, you know, is doing something completely different, whether you're, you know, working in PR or you're working, you know, for your, you know, dad shipping company or whatever, but you're thinking you want to sort of go in this direction and, you know, you got the money to put down for a month of InfoSec skills, like where would you start to sort of like put your toe in the water and decide whether or not this is even something you'd be interested in? So uh, if you're trying to figure out if information security and cybersecurity is for you, I really do recommend starting with, with Security Plus. And that's why I've kind of brought it up a gazillion times in this lesson, right. in this talk, uh, because yeah. it is kind of the baseline foundational thing that is looked at in the industry. Um, the nice thing about Security Plus is it covers a little bit across a lot of topics. There are hmm. six domains. It covers everything from cryptography to wireless security uh, down to you know, some basic coverage of malware and different types and phishing scams and all that kind of stuff. So it really does give you a good overview of the industry. Um, and it's usually the first place that we have people start. Because if you can start with Security Plus, as you go through, you're going to figure out, okay, I learned about this thing called secure software development. And I really liked it. So maybe I want to go learn how to be a programmer and start doing programming tools for cybersecurity, right? Or you may have gone through the course and you said, you know, that part when he was playing with malware was really, really interesting. I want to go become a malware analysis guy, right? right. And you can start going in that route. 
Mm -hmm. Or I go, hey, you know what? This digital forensic stuff was really cool. I want to be able to recover lost files and, and work for the police department. Uh, there's all sorts of different things and you kind of touch on all of those a little bit throughout Security Plus. And then after Security Plus, things start getting more stovepiped into, okay, I want to be a SOC analyst. I want to be a pen tester. I want to be a digital forensics guy, whatever that thing is. Okay, so the sort of parallel track is, okay, let's let's sort of continue this further. You've decided, I want to give this a try. You're looking at Tech Plus, you're getting excited about different things, um, but you don't, want, you don't want to be in that thing where you're just getting certifications and, and nothing to do with it. What are some sort of, hands-on things that an average person can do, not necessarily like getting a job in it, but are there sort of things you can do, you know, on the side or as a hobby or as a freelancer or whatever to learn things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is a tons of ways to learn now because there is, like I said before, virtualization has made it really easy for us. Yep. Uh, you can go on your computer and download a program called VirtualBox from virtualbox.org, oh, which yeah. is a virtualization software, completely free to use, open source. And then you can go over to Vulnhub, uh, V-U-L-N-H-U-B.org. Yep. And they have a bunch of virtual machines that are intentionally vulnerable. So if you want to okay. practice being a pen tester and yep. learn hacking, you can literally download these machines. They've got hundreds of them, and they even have walkthroughs. And you can start learning the techniques and practices of breaking into those machines and figuring it out. Um, it's a great way to pass some time. And it's kind of like a, a, you know, a puzzle as you're trying to figure these things out. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically a big online video game. So that's one of the, one of the great things to do. Uh, I'll just mention that on, on uh, resources.infosecinstitute.com, we have uh, tons and tons of these capture the flag and, and Vulnhub walkthrough, walkthroughs and stuff. And they're, yeah, they're great fun. Yeah, and that was the other thing, right? Capture the flags are great. And when you start playing in capture the flags, you're not going to do well the first time because you're brand new, but you're going to start learning more and more. And yeah. the more you do it, the better you get, right? Yeah, um, and also like, like all sorts of games, like you have to learn the system, you know, before you know how to sort of solve the puzzles. Yep. Um, there's another one, uh, Over the Wire, that I really love, overthewire.org. <laughs> And if you're trying to learn how to do Linux, for instance, because you just got brand new to Linux, they have a, a walkthrough of 26 levels, I think it is. And as you go through and run the different commands in Linux and learn them, you find the keys that unlocks the next level and you keep working your way through. And so it's kind of a gamified way to learn things. Uh, and I think that's another great thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd recommend is one of the things we as cybersecurity people don't do very well that I think is really important is get out and meet other cybersecurity people. Yeah. Don't just sit behind the computer. Um, in most large metro areas, so if you're near New York, D.C., Baltimore, uh, Los Angeles, any of the major markets, uh, there's a thing called B-Sides, uh, which is a security conference that's like 20 bucks to get in. Go there for the day on a Saturday or Sunday and go learn stuff. Meet other people. Because I guarantee you the job that you're going to get is going to be somebody who's willing to take a chance on you because you met them in person at one of these events. Um, when employers are getting resumes, they're getting hundreds of resumes at a time. They're searching for keywords, and they spend about six to 60 seconds on a resume when they're looking at it. Yep. So you have to make an impression on that resume in 60 seconds or less for them to want to give you a chance at an interview so they can even meet you. But if you were at B-Sides last week and you were talking to some guy and you spent 30 minutes over a beer, you yep. might go, oh, I remember Jason. Let me give that guy a chance. Yeah. And so that personal touch, that soft skills like I started at the beginning talking about is sure. really, really important. <laughs> yeah. Any other sort of soft skill recommendations you, you can give? Um, so yeah, time management's big. Okay. Being personable is big. Um, dressing appropriately is big. And dressing appropriately means different things, different places. Sure. Uh, here on the, on the East Coast, um, you should be wearing a you know, suit and tie or a shirt and tie, at least. If you're on the West Coast, if you walked in with a, a, a shirt and tie, uh, some of those companies would probably laugh you out of the room. So yeah. you have to know your audience and what is expected. Um, in my company, we're fairly casual. It's t-shirts or polo shirts. Right. Um, so, so I think that's important is knowing how to dress and, and being able to present yourself well. Um, and then being communicative, 
communicative, uh, looking people in the eye, firm handshake. Yep. Skills that we learned growing up as kids that a lot of people just forgot, it seems like, in this modern right. digital world. Uh, so as we wrap up today, where do you see cybersecurity education going in the years to come? Are there any innovations we can expect on the horizon? And what are some issues currently uh, you know, out there that you hope will be resolved? Um, yeah, so I think we're going to continue to see it get more and more hands-on and more and more lab-based, where it's what can you do as opposed to what do you know? Um, so I think that's going to be one of the major changes you're going to see. Um, the other thing that I haven't seen, another thing I haven't seen a lot yet is virtual reality. Uh, everyone keeps talking about virtual reality. It's going to be the next big evolution mm -hmm. in training. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it come out yet, and there are certain places where it makes sense and certain places it, it doesn't. As a stock analyst, it doesn't really make that much sense. But if you're going to be a field service technician, it could make sense to use some virtual reality as far as let me show you how to uh, take out a hard drive. Let me show you how to install memory or those type of things. So I think we're going to see that because there's been a lot of money being thrown behind virtual reality. Um, the other thing I think is that you're going to see a lot more micro training. Things are going to get down to those shorter lessons, very targeted and very searchable. So you're not going to necessarily go and buy a 15 hour security plus course because you want to learn how to do password cracking. You're going to go search for password cracking and the system's going to pull out three or four videos that are relevant to you kind of the way that we learn on YouTube now. I think that's going to right. become more mainstream in a lot of these content catalogs. Okay. And if uh, our listeners want to know more about you or your other activities, where can they go online? Um, my one place you can find everything is deontraining.com, D-I-O-N training.com. Okay. Jason Dion, thank you for your time and insights today. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Uh, just go to youtube.com and type in cyberwork with InfoSec to find our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search Cyberwork with InfoSec in your favorite podcast catcher of choice. And finally, to see the promotional offers available for podcast listeners and learn more about our InfoSec Pro live boot camps, InfoSec Skills, on-demand training library, and InfoSec IQ security awareness and training platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description. Uh, thank you once again to Jason Dion, and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.